This podcast is brought to you by Audio-Technica, celebrating over 50 years of audio excellence. Well known throughout the recording industry for their acclaimed 40 and 50 series studio microphones and professional M series headphones, Audio-Technica is proud to be the first choice of countless award-winning producers, engineers, and musicians. Learn more at audio-technica.com. Hey, it's Larry Crane. Welcome to the Tape Op Podcast. Nico Case released her first album, The Virginian, in 1997, and since has released six records, documents of her growth as a singer, songwriter, and producer. Her latest release, Hell On, still has whispers of her Americana past, but leans more towards an art rock record with theatrical arrangements that highlight her vivid and evocative lyrics. Nico's recent interview in Tape Off was fantastic, but there is just so much to talk about so online publisher Jeff Stanfield got up with her at a recent tour stop in Seattle. Enjoy. Thanks for doing this. Are you kidding me? I know that you've already done a tape up I, thing. And, I'll do it um, again and again. Awesome. How do you see the, some of the aesthetics that you learned at art school or the process showing up in the way that you make music today? I mean, the school I went to, which was Emily Carr College of Art and Design in Vancouver, BC, they were really good about making sure that the big question that you understood was, you know, is my piece, whatever it may be, art, music, performance, animation, paintings, whatever, does my piece say to the audience what I'm trying to say? So they want you to try to figure out what it's like from people viewing it's perspective, like to see it from every angle, to weigh the, you know, whatever the details are, like, uh, I don't know. I mean, it, de it depended, of course, on how heavily you cared. Like, does my piece really want to say anything or am I just doing it for fun, you know? Because um, sometimes you are just doing it for fun. But I don't know, you try to be several people at the same time. And I think writers, like people who write novels and who write fiction, want to be everyone in the world. They want to like tourist in other people's existences, which can be a problem, but it's also a really pure want. Like it, it's based on compassion for people and interest in people and excitement and not just people, but like you want to be a tourist in the life of a tree, for example, you can, you can do those right. things or I don't know, that's where really exciting ideas come from. Like ideas just make other ideas and it's this crazy rabbit hole that you can go down. Like ideas breed like rabbits. So I know this really is going somewhere, I swear to God. Um, you also learned there, or at least I did for my particular institution, what it meant to make an honest assessment of yourself and figure out how it was you worked and how to be your own boss, as in figure out what your disciplines are, figure out which circumstances uh, contribute or detract from what you're doing, how you do with distractions, you know, what is your optimum work environment, what you have to do to whip your ass into shape, basically. You learn how to structure your life if you wanna be an artist or a creator of any kind. 
And um, that was probably the most helpful lesson I've ever learned because you can apply it to everything. Mm -hmm. And I think education a lot of times can be a real waste of time, but like I didn't have any parents and I didn't have any sort of structure growing up and I really needed it mm -hmm. to go into adulthood. And so I kind of used art school as my parents, mm -hmm. but my super freaky, free-thinking parents who, you know, did every, I don't know how I would ex explain that, but um, so you, like if, if I were to give advice to a younger person, I'd be like, find someone to apprentice with or, you know, someone that you admire. Like, just don't do it. I mean, if you have to do it randomly at first, you know, do it, but find out what you like and what you don't like. And, you know, your input really matters. Mm -hmm. um, and it's really good to figure out how to be humble and to take criticism and to have people say, no, that's not right to you. And, you know, you can use your own opinion whether or not that's right or wrong. But I've learned so much from other people. I wouldn't be anywhere if I didn't take it on the nose sometimes. Yeah, sure. Do you have a routine? Well, there are so many different pieces of being a musician and a producer. Like, sometimes we're on tour. And that is super structured. Mm -hmm. And I'm not good at being a boss of that. So I hire several bosses <laughs> to be my boss in that instance. Like Rachel is my manager. Um, you know, Luke is our tour manager. And then, you know, I have the booking agent and et cetera, et cetera. So I'm not doing it alone at all. Um, there are a lot of people who are really great, who are setting things up and making sure things move smoothly. Um, in the, in the songwriting process, I work with less people. Um, I write songs on my own sometimes, but I don't really like it. I never, it's possible and I can do it, but I never got into a band because I wanted to be by myself. I wanted to be with people and I wanted to be in a gang and I wanted to make sound, like big sounds, you know? Which you, of course you can do on your own, but I enjoy the back and forth with other people and that that cool plate spinning that you do with other people, that weird connection of making a circuit, essentially. Um, and then in the studio, it goes all different ways. Like the, on this last record, I did about half the record with uh, Jorn Yitling, and um, I worked with a lot of people in the studio as well as him, like Tom Monahan, who's an amazing engineer. And uh, just a wonderful person to hang out with. And uh, the best. Oh, my God. Isn't he the best? You know, we get together every time I'm in L.A. and we have long sushi chats and hangs. But um, One of my favorites. Just such a good guy to call and have a conversation with and shoot the shit with and talk about ideas. Mm -hmm. That's what I love about Tom. Yeah. So I can imagine what it's like to be... In He's a, a rare person, and he reminds me very much of my songwriting partner, uh, Tom, Paul Rigby, which is... They both are so... like. They're both, you know, in their 40s, but they're both as excited about music as they were when they were 13. Mm -hmm. It's like ideas and sounds are so exciting to them, and they're not ashamed to just geek out. The geeking out is the funnest part, and they know it. Mm -hmm. And I think the whole worried about being cool thing goes back to what I was saying about, you know, you can't be afraid if, you're, if, you're, if it's early on and you're starting. Just admit you don't know everything. Because in the world of audio, I've noticed people sometimes are very strong with their opinions about gear or about a way to record because they want to look really knowledgeable. Mm -hmm. It's like, it's silly. <laughs> it's just silly. Well, yeah, and I can recall, like, 
very er like earlier on, both in playing music and in um, in recording, like really trying to do it quote right. Like, mm -hmm. like, like, am I doing it right? How's my time? You know, how's, mm -hmm. how's this? How's that? How's the, how's the low, you know? And, and now I'm like, when I give advice to young recordists, I'm like, just plug stuff in and blow stuff up and like, you know, really just explore and make mistakes. And like the idea of the quote, perfect mix and mm -hmm. the, the perfect sonic balance and this and that it's, I'm not discounting it, but the idea that you can't make something cool and creative that's not 100% technically proficient, they, those two things don't have to go hand in hand. Yeah. That's a, very, that's a super important lesson for young people. You right, know, like and also like, sometimes the heaviest opinions are totally based in fact, but they're also the most expensive ones. Like, you're not gonna get those kind of warm sounds without the, the Neumann microphone or whatever. And it's absolutely true. The Neumann is like the greatest microphone maybe, but I don't like using them. Right. I have a very nasal voice and a very loud voice. And so I like, you know, the Audio-Technica 4050. Right. And it's not, it's not considered like a super fancy, like Telefunken, yeah. you know? And you're like, yeah. well. It works. Uh, yeah, and like I enjoy working on huge, desks as much as I like working with an ADAT, which people think is just a joke, but I loved recording with the ADAT because I'm so fucking ADD. Like Pro Tools, I understand in theory, but I, I can't keep track of all the menus sure. that are hidden all the time and like the tiny things that are checked off. Like I love having every track where I can touch it right. and it's all visible all the time and yeah. it's very simple arm it you know i yeah. i think that's totally valuable too absolutely and like you know i am sure working on the neve console is the greatest thing ever but i also get the same amount of joy working with the adat and you know it just the it doesn't matter sure like a lot of us don't have that that uh kind of money you know what I mean? Yeah, and yeah. like, totally. frankly, when everybody was telling me to work with a Neve console, I just, I liked the SSL so much more. It was just like, I know I'm supposed to like that more, but I really prefer the SSL. And that's yeah. a right answer. Like everything's a right answer in a way. Totally. And you know, when I was young, I'm not, I'm not immune. Like I was guilty of like adopting other people's opinions as my own from time to time. And it was like, yeah, that, that was kind of a dumb thing to do. You just kind of got to own it. Cause yeah, I mean, that's just growing up. Yeah. There is like a giant need to sort of be validated mm -hmm. and with the way that the internet is today, which yeah. is just so much like, it's really up to you and what's yeah. working. Like you don't have to die on the Neumann Hill. If you want to try other microphones, oh, Yeah, you, you mentioned, um, the idea of sort of creating something and trying to see it from your audience perspective, mm -hmm. or at least like having that be part of the process. It seems like that's a tough one. It is a tough one. Basically, I look at it in, in the aspect of, have I left enough holes or enough entry points so that the listener can make the song their own? Like, have I not been so specific about certain things that a person listening can make it a song about them. Does that make sense? Like, I think so. like for example, classic love songs. 
they don't mention like a pager necessarily, or they don't stick themselves to one specific time period so much. It's more about the feelings and the, the passing environment and the ambiance and the, it's, it's, a, it's an emotional like gray area that like stamps a kind of, you know, chapter heading mm -hmm. that a person can always refer to. And when they hear a song that they loved as a teenager in a restaurant, like it might make them cry, you know? It, it's that weird, how do you get into a person's subconscious, but not getting into a person's subconscious exploitively, like kind of getting in there more lovingly. Mm -hmm. Does that make any sense? Sort of, yeah. Like you just, I want people to be able to kind of wear it like their special punk rock vest, mm -hmm. you know, that they personalize. Like I'm totally into super specific songs too that are very much about one thing, but I like writing stories more and I like trying to comfort people and, and to make people feel acknowledged or validated somehow. Are you conscious of that when you're actually in the writing process or is that just sort of inherent to what you do? I mean, I'm always... Great songwriters that reach a lot of people have a way of um, being universal with their message in some way. Universal is difficult. There are people who can do it, and I'm not saying I'm one of them. But it may not even editing be your editing yourself is is not necessarily about editing what you're talking about, but trying to say it as elegantly and with as few words as possible, or as awkwardly with as much or few words as possible to try to just get that little weird in-between space that you can't explain, like you have to make up a new language. And it'll click with people sometimes. And that's a really magic connection to have with your audience. Mm -hmm. Because when you're out on the road and they show up to see you play, you replay that experience and you're, you know, we don't play alone, like we play for people and it's a really, it's like harmony singing. It's this really incredible ability that human beings have um, as natural creatures in the wild. Like we, we're pretty amazing when we want to be. Yeah. So just setting up those, those places where you can use your instincts that you maybe have forgotten about or just like this raw sort of human feeling and a connection with other human beings or... Mm -hmm. Trees, even. I don't know. You can connect with whatever you like. Yeah, I want to talk about the. I, I was going to ask you about it later, but um, when you were in your the last tape up thing that we that we did, you talked about harmony, mm. and you talked about um, vibrations. Mm. Um, I was talking to my wife, and I was telling her about what you had said about the the harmony, and she goes, "Oh, you know, there's there's a study they did where when people sang together in groups." that it releases oxytocin, which is the same hormone that you get, you know, women get when breastfeeding. It helps form bonds and relationships, and um, it's a pretty magical thing. I thought that was like a really interesting thing to talk about, and just the way that like, there is a, a mental aspect to songwriting, lyrics and that stuff, but then there's this actually physical reaction that people can have to music Absolutely. and you talked about it when you hey i wanted to be in a band and i wanted to have that feeling and that create that that circuit as you said just now mm -hmm. um i think those things are all related and some of it seems super new agey you know in a way but it and, does and it's, but it's more i think it, i think if you think about it like from the stance that people love to watch nature shows for example studying animal behavior is addictive like we are fascinated by what they do 
and, you know, watching like BBC Earth or something and seeing how an ant communicates with a tree to make sap so that it can feed, like all these crazy things things can do. And I, I think a lot about horses when I'm um, working on vocal parts because horses have one of the most sophisticated uh, methods of communication with each other. And when I try to describe things to people, I often use horses because horses are led by uh, a dominant female. And horses are like, they do a thing that's a lot like murmurations of birds, where the horses are always keenly aware of what the lead female is doing. And she can signal a huge group of horses by simply turning one ear slightly. Like they are completely attuned to her and they move in the right way. They do what she says. And you know, it's not that they don't cross the line or challenge her or whatever, but it's a way they communicate that's really subtle and really beautiful. Humans have the same ability. We just don't study ourselves that way because we have this fucked up Victorian view of human beings in, in Western culture where we're not actually animals and where we're totally removed from the, the animal kingdom or nature in general, and which is a huge problem because that, I think that's one of the reasons that we don't understand things like climate change. It's like, well, it, does, it has nothing to do with us, you know? So just the way these natural ways of communicating affect, you know, fight or flight or like we say a lot, what what can one person do to change the world? Like those little tiny signals are what are so fascinating because I think those little tiny signals reinforce other people's beliefs and they reinforce like a feeling that you're not alone or a signal to move in a certain direction. And that doesn't necessarily mean a physical direction. That could mean a you know, just where are we going as human beings or I don't want to feel alone or I don't know. There's a, a million ways to sound new agey about it, as you said. Yeah, well, I know, but I, I mean, it is, a, it is a concept that like, you know, positive vibrations and, you know, we talk about all these things that you sort of like, eh. but then you start looking, you know, you really look at it. It's like, wow, it's a, it's a, it's an super important way that people connect and bond on like on a non-verbal mm -hmm. uh, level and there's something so magical it's like you said like you hear that that harmony and you know it makes you it makes you feel emotional it elicits like yeah. it makes you want to cry the study showed interestingly enough that people that it was elevated levels of oxytocin especially in improvised music in a when creating improvised yeah, that music excitement with, of hitting it Ooh. with others you know and like having that that communication on a on a level that wasn't verbal it's like you turn on a switch and other people they didn't know they had right and it's a switch that makes them feel very alive and very capable and very effective like very important and mm -hmm. useful it's like wow I, I have these abilities that I didn't know I had, or it's like runner's high, I think. Yeah. I think that would be another one that people talk about, like exploring this really powerful physicality that you turn on with a sound rather than like running three miles or yeah. something. But it's, it's really exciting. But I think it's exponential when you're doing it with other people. 
Yeah. And you don't have to be able to sing well. Like people talk a lot about not being able to sing, but there's a thing that happens when huge groups of people sing together too, Mm -hmm. that does the same thing. A large group of people singing together makes me bawl my eyes out. And like just that sound that everyone's making together, like it has nothing to do with ability. It has to do with intent, which is everything. And that's another thing I learned from horses like I I do I have a horse and I when I first got him he was really kind of standoffish and and I was going through a a crappy time in my life and he was just getting to know me and he wouldn't engage with me like he wouldn't really let me catch him a lot until I figured out that I had to put my stress down and I think that's why they use horses for therapy animals a lot is because they understand PTSD and they can really read underlying or non-subtle um, feeling of anxiety. Mm-hmm. That Like they live on anxiety because they're herd animals. Um, so I was able to practice putting down my anxiety and moving forward on my own time with him. And then sure enough, like just these things started working and he would engage with me and and it wasn't something I would have been able to do with human beings in like a therapy setting. Even though logically you understand everything people are saying about that, it's really hard to put it into practice. So you have to try different methods. But that's why the the whole singing thing is like, that's a way to practice having that connection with other people. We, I, I, like to, I like conversations around collaboration. I think that collaboration is such a great part of... Um, Record making. Yeah. There are a lot of people that want to strangle their own record, you know, because they want to take 100% credit. They want to be involved in every little teeny nuance and veto or approve or mm-hmm. not. And, mm-hmm. and I, I think that those are the records that you probably don't want to listen to as the creator down the road. I'm a control freak, totally. And I'm sure that's how I became involved in every little part of what it means to be a working musician. And it took me a while, but I did learn to seed control or go, you know, I'm a shitty, shitty uh, tour manager and uh, I don't have time to book my own shows. So why would I do it when there's this person that's so good at it over here who believes in the project? So you're, you're humming along, you're making this thing and you're like, I need I need to be known for doing the bass line on this song. But then like I would get someone to do the bass line, like Joey Burns or somebody who's really great, and they did something so great, I got a whole other idea. It's like it becomes this pyramid. It's like those mirrors in Egypt where the sun would come down and hit one mirror, and then it would hit another mirror and light up something on the inside of a pyramid. It's like ideas make other ideas. Or sometimes when you're making music, you need the thrill of a a musicality you didn't expect. Yeah. And that's what working with other people gives you. You can hear your song as a song, like you're not so deep inside of it. And then there's the camaraderie and the laughing and the eating lunch together. All those parts are so important. Mm -hmm. And I never want to get stuck again in feeling like a project is a beginning and an end, and I'm trying to get to the end because it's a time in your life. And, you know, I, I've had times where, like, I was really depressed and 
having a hard time. And it was like, just, just motor through to the other side. And it, it doesn't feel right. I mean, not that people can help it when they're deeply depressed or having a hard time, but you feel like you're letting the people down who are there with you too, aside from yourself. Right. Who, you, who you always put last. If you're like me, I'm like, well, it doesn't matter what I think as long, you know. And you are important in your own work and you should be like having the time of your life. You right, should be like going in the bathroom and freaking out like, oh my God, Garth Hudson is here and he just played a piano right. and I just shit my pants. <laughs> like, and you should feel super cool while cleaning yourself up after <laughs> shitting your pants. You should be relishing every second. Yeah. Because it's, when do we, you know, it, it's such a beautiful job. It is important to find joy in those, those relationships, you know, and, yeah. those, and those opportunities. Exactly. But um, to not beat yourself up when you're slogging and it's really, really, really hard and you feel like you're giving birth to the albatross. And, you know, there's a, another thing I learned in art school, which was, did you push the idea far enough? Sometimes you don't say what you want to say to your audience because you didn't push it hard enough. How much further can this idea go? How much more uh, embellishment can it handle? Did I push it far enough? Did I edit it down enough? Like there are so many ways it could go. And th there's a lot of like giving birth work you got to do. Sure. But it's worth it. Um, you talked about balance. A, what do you do when you're not making music or on tour or making a record? And what would your parallel universe life look like? I, I really like being in the dirt and being at home with my animals. I like hanging around in the forest. I like uh, making things, you know, art or practical things like just painting your house or I like making food for people. One of my favorite jobs I ever had was I worked at Hattie's Hat in Ballard and uh, I made the soups. And I loved making up soup recipes and I loved that I could be thinking about someone else's health and getting a good meal without ever meeting them. It was like a nice way to give love to complete strangers. That's sort of what you do with making <laughs> records, right? Exactly. It's the same thing. It's like, you know what? Maybe this is gonna make your day better, just having a good bowl of soup. It's really simple things like that. Yeah. But okay. I would also like to travel a lot and be a historian because that's some pretty exciting stuff too. Good. I don't know, there's too many. There, there, I have option there's anxiety. There's lots of jobs. So yeah. you can have, you can have, how many parallel lives are you allowed? As many as you want. I don't know. I liked one of the things that you talked about, like when you're in the mix and you're, or you're in the mixing process and you find like a little detail that you want to bring out and how that starts to dictate the rest of the mix. You know, how much of that are you doing when, when you're in the mix process? Are you well, it depends. There's definitely a part of the mixing process where I'm finding, making sure I go through every guitar part, every keyboard part, because they're, while they're happening, I'm listening. And say somebody's finger slips off a key or like slips off a string, and it just makes this really beautiful little moment. I wanna make sure those things are still in there. I love the humans were here moments. Mm -hmm. And uh, I don't like perfect takes. I don't like uh, drums to click track, for example. I like a natural speed up usually, um, or a natural slowdown. 
but I just want to make sure it all makes it, especially the stuff that sounds kind of fucked up. Mm -hmm. I don't want it to be like the song is a video game I'm getting through. I want it to be like it's a little story or a novel or a trailer for a film or something like that. You know, as you sort of look back on your, your music career and when I was sort of doing my homework to come talk to you, you know, went back to early records that were very Americana country records as a and Hell On is not really that at all. It's it's like an art rock record. And then you start to get to like 20, 2013 and you and then things are start, starting to morph a little bit. How did that happen for you? I mean, is it was it boredom with what you were doing or did you start no, listening there, to other music? No, there was definitely or? no disrespect to what I was already doing. I think it's just a human morph. It's what we do. We're growing and I just love sounds. I want more sounds and I'll bring back some of the sounds from a long time ago. Or, for example, I still work with Joey Burns and John Convertino a lot because they are amazing at just doing something that swerves off the beaten path. But thank you for calling it art rock, by the way, because <laughs> that makes me feel really good. But the choices that were, were made are, are bold and cool because knowing how I, you know, people make records, you had more choices. I'm sure you had more yeah. choices in terms of drum tones. But where those things are sitting, are, are they're cool choices. And they let yeah. the story be told in a it's cinematic, you know, and it's more orchestral. It's almost like I got to be like a dating app. Like I was kind of a matchmaker. It's like, okay, Matt Chamberlain, of course, is going to make this soundscape uh, of the drums. It's going to sound incredible. And then I'm going to tweak some things and get it over here. And now I'm going to give it to Lassa Mjorten who mostly works with, you know, Swedish pop music and he's done some really big records and he's like, I haven't worked on a record that didn't have a uh, click track in like seven years. Right. And he was like, it was so much fun. So like, he's just, he's a natural musician as a mixer. And so he and I worked on that together, but I was more the matchmaker and those two kind of communicated through me in this weird way. And so it's almost like you're an operator in the old style where you're plugging, you're yeah. connecting this person with this person. And so you want to make sure in a situation like that, you give everybody where credit is due. Yeah. Like there's something to be said about being able to write all your own songs and record it yourself and make your own record. But I mean, what do you get extra money if you do that? Maybe, maybe I don't know. People I paid for this record this? and it was expensive. <laughs> yeah. So I was like, I really want the best people possible. Like, yeah. I'm not going to mix that by myself. This costs so much money. Like, yeah. I'm going to hook up this whole uh, Matt Chamberlain vibe over here with the Lassam Yorten and I'll make, you know, I'll put my two cents in there here and there. But mm -hmm. there's a time where you stand back and go, Oh, that's beautiful. Well, that's and it's I'm, heartwarming. You're that's, like, oh. That's production. You know, I was working on a record with Matt. I think he had just come back from uh, Craig's place, mm -hmm. Wave Lab. Mm -hmm. So he was like, well, we just sort of played, you know? It was sort of like a lot of experimentation. Is that how the record was created? Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, there's a lot of experimentation. Some things are, you know, uh, like, for example, the song Oracle of the Maritimes, like I had written it much earlier, so I had had time to work on it with the band and play it 
on the road. So that one was a little more straightforward. I kind of knew what I wanted. And then the wild card on that was Joey Burns, because he came in just having heard the song maybe twice and played an instrument he doesn't normally play. So that's, to me, when like it really gets magical. And it's like, ooh. And um, Sebastian and Matt have a really good connection, Sebastian Steinberg. So we worked really hard on it, and it, it was I think it was kind of frustrating. But I'm an idea pusher, so the frustration is just part of it for me, which I hope, I hope they will forgive me for that. But um, just feeling like, I almost have it. I almost have it. I'm not sure. And then just doing a part over and over and over again, which, you know, that can be a lot to ask of people when you haven't worked with them before. So I hope that they will forgive me for, <laughs> for sometimes laboring too long on a certain thing. Like I try to think about what, if I worked with me for the first time and I didn't know me and I stepped away, I think sometimes I would wonder if any music had just happened or if there's anything we were gonna keep, which is a huge leap of faith. So, you know, I'm so thrilled that people are willing to come over and... You know, they're not inside your head and you can see that in game and yeah. sometimes, I guess. But I also don't read music or anything like that. So sometimes people who are trained, it's, it's hard for me to communicate with them. Mm what I want to happen, because I'm like, I want it to be greener, and you know, which is also a producer and a you know, engineer's nightmare, like, God, no, don't use a color. Don't use a color on me right now. <laughs> it, it can be really frustrating, but you gotta make up new languages with people all the time. Yeah. And it's really challenging and so worthwhile. And yeah, well, you don't learn a language overnight, and just like you, your musical compatriots, you know, and people that you end up developing those relationships with and creating those vibrations that we're talking about with and those magic moments that happen late at night when you're all just kooky and like, you know, it happens and it all just is like, oh, like the, the yep. like the, the magic finger came down and touched the thing exactly. and you're like, what, you know, that is how what, did that happen? Yeah. And it's like, you're grubby and you're like in your pajamas and you feel like dog shit and you ate Cheetos for dinner and you're like, then all of a sudden that light comes on and like this beautiful specter visits your world. And that's what you've been trying to conjure by making music this whole time. Yeah. And those moments are the most beautiful thing that happens in music, I think. Right, it's why you As, come back. In, in the personal, you know, private by yourself. And then there's the counterpart, which is making a connection with your audience when you play the songs. Yeah. Yeah, I wrote this piece recently that's, uh, it talks just about those moments. It's like, if you are lucky enough to be in the room and have these moments happen, you know, that's why you do it. You're not doing this to make money. You're not doing this mm -hmm. for this. You're doing mm -hmm. it because it's a privilege to have those kind of connections with people and have it be focused around some project that you were part of. And like, even if it never comes out, it's untouchable. Like you said, yeah. it's like, wow, I was part of that. I was in the room. I was there, yeah. you know? It's kind of like, if you met somebody you'd never met or seen and they spoke a completely different language than you, which can happen between two people who speak the same language. Like there could be a massive disconnect between you and I, say, when I'm talking about the harmony singing. And then your wife comes in and has a scientific explanation and can use the word oxytocin right. when I can't. Like it's the most, like we should never stop looking for those yeah. moments.
because it's like this gorgeous mystery story that you just get so much out of. Yes. One thing I saw that just lit the sky up for you recently was this NPR article. I have a really good relationship with NPR. Right. And, you know, they have supported me more than anyone. So it's hard to be the person who calls out and goes, no, we're not that. But it's also really important to call that out, especially when you respect someone so much. But it's like this thing they're doing to get people to vote on something. And I'm like, you know, ranking music is is dumb to begin with. If you're going, what sold the most records? Yeah, okay, I get it. But just make a list of really great women as like a, a database. Like, hey, do you want to learn more about women in music, quote unquote? Like, Go to this database and learn about these people ranking us and not including us with men in that perspective is so disrespectful and it just reinforces this way we categorize and reinforces the way we don't think of women as being capable to do the same things men do. It's absolutely ridiculous and so we are so far past that. Let's stop doing that. It would be changing the language slightly, and it seems like such a small thing, but it is not. It is huge. It's like, just do the thing where you go, hey, NPR listeners, could you tell us your favorite female songwriters we should know about? And we're going to just put them in this big database or play a big selection of them. It's not ranking them. It's not keeping them separate in that way. It's like, yes, there is a place to have the here's the women who do this list, ranking us is fucked up. And keeping us separate from the men in the world of the main current of where music is happening or being made is fucked up. And it sounds like a very reactionary thing for me to say, especially because I took part in Woman Producer. Woman Producer exists and is called Woman Producer because there had never, ever in the history of the world been a conference or any kind of event recognizing female producers in the history of the world. And it wasn't just, it wasn't like this weird gender thing either. It was female identifying. Like anybody who identifies as female or fluid or anything is welcome. And that's another thing that is really, I hate to use the word problematic because it's overused with a, a list of best woman blah 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 is that female identifying human beings who may be gender fluid or trans or whatever they get left out and so they just it hurts them they work really fucking hard to do it too Mm -hmm. so when there's no place for you it feels like shit and i know that from having grown up in the united states of america as a female there wasn't a place for me and it fucking hurt. And like, there's a chronic math you're doing 24 seven. Not everybody, but I'm like, well, where's the woman there? Where's the, how come we're not, you know, where are the women of color? Where, you know, how come you ignored trans women, blah, blah, blah. Like, I'm always thinking those things all the time. And I'd like to shut it off, but now isn't the time. I, I go on about it a lot, which some people think that, I mean, I've never been accused of this, but I wonder, like, do people think that I'm anti-male or anti-male identifying in that regard? And it's like, no, not at all. Like, I wouldn't be a good feminist 
without all the male feminists in my life who said things to me, you know, like, for instance, my friend Daryl Newdorf, who worked on my first records with me, he's like, well, what you're doing right now is producing. You know that, right? And I was like, no. He's like, yeah, you're totally a producer. And here's why. And always encouraged me and always brought up what he thought was really unfair to women in the industry. And it was really validating. And, you know, he wasn't doing it as, quote unquote, someone who was a daughter. Like, he was doing it as a human being. Right. And it made such a huge difference. And I've had a lot of men in my life like that. I've been really lucky. And, uh, you know, not just lucky. I'm sure that there's something in me who gravitates toward that. But I just think it's such a disservice to still talk about things like that. And as a woman, I don't want to be ranked for shit. <laughs> Like, I don't ever need to be first place no. for shit. And, you know, you get people saying, like, you're just mad because you're not on the list. It's like, no, dude, I'm mad because <laughs> you're, quali <laughs> you're qualifying where Sister Rosetta Tharp should be when she should be uh, at the top of the quote-unquote list with the men. Like, fuck off. No. Like, I don't want that for anybody. I don't care if I'm on that list. My shit is tight. I got it going on. I don't need to be on a list. Um, but I also don't need to be in bad standing with NPR. Like, they're my friends. Sure. And I respect yeah. them and I love what they do. And I want them to get it right. Um, and I'm not an expert on how to run a media outlet, but I am an expert on being a quote unquote woman in music. And that's where I feel fully qualified to speak up. All right, one more question. Other than time, you know, how can you separate yourself from the producer role and knowing every note and nuance of that record so intimately to actually listen and, and appreciate the work as a listener? I mean, is it even possible? I do that while the record's being made. Generally, I don't listen to it for about eight to ten years after that. Occasionally, little bits now and then if I need to learn a part that I forgot or you know, figure out what we should be doing on stage or something. But like, I've done that. And you know, there, there's, a, there's a point where you've listened to something so many times, like it just wears out the groove in your ear and you just can't hear it anymore. So you gotta get away for a while. And then you come back and you're like, that worked out the way, okay. You know, like I listened to um, Middle Cyclone and uh, Fox Confessor and, and I felt really good about it. I was like, yes. That's totally what I wanted to happen. And it did, and, and I feel really good that I can look back and go, yes, okay. It still, to me, says what I had to say. I don't know if it holds up to other people, like production-wise or whatever, but that's not my problem to worry about that. People are gonna like it or they're not gonna like it. Like, we don't have control over that. We can just do the best we can. And it's such a, hard thing to describe because on one hand you you're well me I'm really uncompromising in a lot of ways and uh, I really trust myself um, and I know it's going to work out which makes it easier for me to be experimental in the studio I think and I really enjoy that but at the same time I really do care like I said about the audience being able to insert themselves into the story and wear it like their punk rock jacket. You know what I mean? So it, it is, again, back to balance. It's all about that. 
Great. Well, thank you. Thank you for having yeah, me. Yeah, thank you. you know, it was awesome. Yay. And I love not talking about Neve consoles the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for listening. Find us online at tapeop.com, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Until next time.